0: Hi, ladies. Hi, gentlemen. My name's Evan, if you don't know me. Musicians, that was incredible. I know we're here to praise God, but thank you for bringing what you bring. Before we get started, i got a couple questions for you. Feel free to raise your hand mentally. How many of you have been going to church for a while? How many of you have been taught that man deserves to be separated from God and his goodness? Or we all deserve to go to hell. How many of you have been taught that because of God's love for us, he decided to step in and pay our penalty by dying on the cross so that way we could be reunited with him? I'm guessing there's probably a lot of hands going up inside your minds. How many of you spend time on a regular basis thinking about these facts? For how many of you Have these truths become common to the point of being blasé? Over the past year, God has been reminding me that our innate brokenness and overwhelming love are the foundations off of which every biblical truth is built and the lens through which we should see ourselves and other people and our entire lives. Because these are so crucial to us experiencing what is truly good, They have to be things that we think about often, daily, and we take the time to consider them. You know, over the last two weeks, Chris and I have been trying to lay out the two most basic biblical truths, the free will and foolishness of man and the intensity of God's love for his creation. Both of these stem from the concepts of justice and righteousness. Because mankind chose to reject their creator's authority and instead to to cling to their own powers and abilities to live unrighteously, justice declares that we should reap the consequences of our choices, that we should be fully separated from the one that we chose to reject. In Genesis 3, we see this happen. God lets Adam and Eve know that their lives will now be completely different. Instead of living and operating in a perfect world, they will now experience pain loss, and suffering in their day-to-day lives and with the relationships with each other. They are also no longer immortal. Because they no longer live in the presence of the author of life, eventually their bodies will crumble and they will die. A just God allowed them and the rest of humanity to experience the natural cause and effect of our own choices. This is punitive justice. Let the wicked be punished. But fortunately, for them and for us, God's love for us is far beyond logic, and there's another type of justice. It's when things are brought back to where they were originally intended intended to be. It's a restorative form of justice. Instead of allowing us to remain alone in the midst of our chosen imperfections and brokenness, our Creator decided to stay with us so that way He could bring us justice restoring us back to the way our lives are supposed to be. But because God is just or fully upright, he wasn't able to simply turn a blind eye to our wickedness. Rather, we or someone else had to experience the legal consequences of our choices. Because of God's unstoppable love, he sent his son to take our place, to bear the full weight of our unrighteousness, our endless choices to live outside of our design. Because of this, anyone who desires to experience restorative justice has it waiting for them. Romans 10, 9 through 13. If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. No one believes with the heart and so is justified. And one confesses with the mouth and so is saved. The scripture says no one who believes in him will be put to shame for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you've been in church at all, you've heard that verse, but there is so much gravity to the weight of the truth behind this. Take a moment to consider that. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, the one who made everything, shall be saved. So simple, so black and white due to God's intense love for us. You know, as a teacher, I'm not a preacher, I'm a teacher. My desire is for you to walk out better understanding biblical truth. And to have one thought bouncing around in your head. After my 30 minutes of rambling on and on, my hope is that you have one thought and the tools through which explore it on your own. So on the back of the handout bulletin, whatever you want to see, are all the Bible verses that I'm going to be running through. I put it there so that way you can take this with you. I say this often, but 5% of what I will say you will remember, 5%. But if you actually look into it on your own, right, 100% of it can be retained. So please, that's going to be something we do every week. Whoever's teaching, there's going to be Bible verses in front of you because I want to put it back into your hands. Your responsibility is not to come and listen to one person go on and on in the ways that they think, but rather it is for you to search into truth, to find what God wants you to know. All right, let's talk a little bit more about the power of justice. Once we have been saved or redeemed from the just consequences of our selfish choices, we are fully atoned or forgiven from our spiritual imperfection, which allows us to be back in the presence of God. One day, either when your physical body dies or when Jesus returns, you will be back in the presence of God, the way that you were made to be. But we are not spiritually saved to simply experience God in heaven. Make sure you hear that. This is the hinge point of where we're going. God did not save you spiritually to only save you in heaven. As you think about this, It is crucial to consider one's thoughts and study a biblical topic through the lens of God's love for us. I spent a lot of time on this last week. God has loved his creation since before the foundations of the world, loved us enough to establish a plan to redeem us from our own chosen brokenness. Long before he even created us, he decided to become a man who would be killed so that his wicked creation could be redeemed. We see this in Romans 5, 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thinking through this lens, would God save us only for eternity? Let me ask you a question. Would you be willing to sacrifice for the safety and wellness of your child or your nephew or your grandchild? Of course you would. But would you throw a contingency factor into your sacrifice? I'm willing to pay a heavy price, but only if you pour that goodness out upon my son in the year 2050. No, of course you wouldn't say that. You are willing to pay the cost so that way your son or your nephew or whoever you love experiences it now. The same is true even more so for God. He did not willingly sacrifice everything for us so that way we could blindly stumble through the rest of our lives and crawl through the gates of heaven. Rather, he paid the highest price so that way we could experience restorative justice now. So that way we could be transformed from our selfish and destructive selves into the selfless, loving, content, and joy-filled people that he made us to be. Let's look at the Bible specifically at God's role in our lives now. Two different verses. First one's in Jeremiah 18. Jeremiah was a prophet. The word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, come, go down to the potter's house and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house and there he was working at his wheel. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hands and he reworked it into another vessel as seemed good to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as this potter has done, says the Lord? Just like the clay in the potter's hands, so you are in mine, O house of Israel. And something that's important to understand, house of Israel, they were the people of God, the people that God had chosen to pour his goodness upon. If you have cried out to the Lord to be saved, then this is you. You are a part of what he's saying. Let's look at 2 Corinthians. It makes it even more obvious for us. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us with unveiled faces seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. Now, did you see the common theme in these verses? We are being changed. Those who have cried out to the God of the Bible are being reworked from a broken state into one that is more in line with our Creator's design, one in which contentment and purpose and joy are common. Did you also see how this is taking place? In Jeremiah, the broken vessel is being made whole by the potter's hands. Our potter, the one who made us, did not step away from the spinning wheel once he saw our flaws. Instead, when we willingly hand our lives back into his hands, he immediately begins working on us. So that way he can make us better, reform us into the ways that he intended us to be. In 2 Corinthians, we see that we are being transformed to more closely resemble God Himself, right? as though reflected in the mirror into the same image of God. This is being done by the Lord, specifically the Spirit. Tonight, I want us to better understand a third foundational biblical truth. If you have cried out to the God of the Bible, then the creator of everything continually works in your heart in order to transform you and guide you into a better life. Please do not gloss over that statement. Do not view it through the Christianese lens. Take time to think through and consider the implications of this truth. If you have cried out to the God of the Bible, then the creator of everything continually works in your heart in order to transform you into a better life. We're going to look at the what, the why, and the how. What does this mean? Why can he do this? And how does he do it? So we'll start with what does this mean? Ezekiel 36. I love the Bible, and I want you to just get your minds fully immersed into it. Ezekiel 36, I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. Such a weird word. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. A new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and make you follow my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. Now, if you've spent any time in the Christian world, especially as a kid, you have most likely heard the phrase, invite Jesus into your heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Right? Have you ever wondered what the heck this means? Through our modern worldview, our heart is an organ that pumps blood through the rest of our body. If Jesus is in our heart, what the heck? Is he in prison? Right? How can our heart continue to function obviously, this must not be biblical. It must have been made up by church ladies long ago and then just passed on to little kids and then adults who don't question. Well, from the verse that we just read, it's actually biblical. Multiple times through the Old and New Testament, the idea of us getting a new heart and God inhabiting our heart is mentioned. Now, if we go back to the original audience of the Bible and look through their lens, then we have a better chance of understanding what it means to us. For them, this is a metaphor. According to Bible background commentary, the heart was considered the seat of the mind and its will or inclinations. That means it is our mind, our emotions, and our willpower. According to both the Israelites and the Jews, a person's heart is the core of who they are. It's what influences their thoughts and their actions. That means your heart is what makes you who you are. The spirit, which is lowercase in Ezekiel, is the exact same thing. Now let's start thinking about how this applies to us. Within each of us, in our big and beautiful brains, there is an extremely complex mess of deeper beliefs which have created tendencies which have created habits. Day after day, we operate out of the deeper layers of our mind, most of the time subconsciously. Our thoughts, our words, and our actions directly flow from what we believe. Because humanity's choice long ago to reject God's authority and then trust in their own logic and emotion, we are born broken and selfish at the core of who we are in our hearts we see ourselves as our own god and believe that we exist to do whatever is best for us if you want examples of this spend a little time with some children right hang out with my 7 and 4 year old for an hour and you will see continual pursuit of self gain they will inevitably argue and fight over the stupidest things like which stool they can sit at at the counter which cup color of cup they can drink out of while they are eating or who gets to play with the brand new Amazon box first anybody relate with what i'm talking about if you spend 2 seconds to consider why they are bickering it's easy to see that they simply want whatever is best for themselves you know as adults we usually aren't quite as obvious in our selfishness but we are still children trapped in grown up bodies If our selfish, selfless motivation colored things blue and our selfish motivation colored things red, I believe the world would be painted crimson. The majority of the reason why we do what we do is for our own gain. Even if our own words and our actions appear to be focused on helping other people, they are usually stemming from our own logic, our own belief of what is best for us to do. Now, if we continue to fully operate out of this belief, then we would eventually but inevitably bring more pain and loss into our, into our own lives. We are so temporary, and our logic is so limited and heavily swayed by our emotions of the moment that when we fully trust ourselves, poor choices will be made. But because God doesn't want his creation to suffer, he directly steps into our hearts Remember what that was? Our minds, our emotions, our willpower. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 3, 17 again. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the spirit. Now, did you notice that spirit is capitalized here? English 101. What does this mean? It's a proper noun. Most likely a person's name. Like the author Paul said, now the Lord is the spirit. The spirit or the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, the Spirit. He is God himself. In these verses, we see that the Spirit is the one transforming people back into our original design, reflecting the image of our Creator. We are being changed from inherently selfish people that are fully dependent on our own limited and faulty wisdom to children of God that are becoming more and more dependent on the Almighty Maker of heaven and earth. That means that God, the one who made everything, not only wants to save your soul, but he also wants to make your life in the here and now better. He wants to pull you out of the ditches of your life and place you back on the road that you want to be on. So that's the what. Now, why? Why can a perfect God directly interact with the heart of an imperfect people? So Ezekiel 36 again. I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. Now in the eye of the original audience, sprinkling sprinkling clean water on something meant that it was being purified. Like God said, you shall be clean from all of your uncleannesses. Did you catch the amount of your sins that are being dealt with? Look at Hebrews 10, 14 as well. For by a single sacrifice, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. I have to read that one again. For by a single offering, one time, he has perfected, made perfect for all time those who are being sanctified. If you want to know how much Jesus' death did for you, you want to know how long you are saved for, what sins can take you out of God's hand, reflect on this verse. For by a single sacrifice, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. According to the Bible, when you cry out to the God, to God for salvation, you are made spiritually perfect forever. That means that regardless of what you do in the days to come, your relationship with your perfect creator will never be put in jeopardy. Due to the magnitude of Jesus' sacrifice, you are fully cleansed of the spiritual consequences of every selfish and rebellious thought, word, and action that you have ever done or that you ever will do. This means that God can continually interact with your mind and your emotions regardless of the mess that you are in the middle of. Incredible. So we've looked at what and the why. I want to spend the rest of our time looking at how the Spirit transforms us. I've kind of clumped it into two general statements, and there's definitely more. There's a lot of verses on the Spirit. Just Google verses on the Spirit, and you'll see so many worth looking at. But the two categories that I put, he leads us into truth and that he empowers us to overcome. He leads us into truth, and he empowers us to overcome. So with he leads us into truth, let's look at John 16. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate or the spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. According to Jesus, after his death and resurrection, the spirit of truth will come to lead us into all truth. Notice that spirit is capitalized. This means that the spirit of God, part of the Trinity, the one that Paul told us would transform us is the one bringing us truth. This is one way that God will change us, is by guiding us into what is true. Now to understand the gravity of this role, we must remind ourselves of who is doing the guiding. The creator of everything. The one who stands outside of time and has a completely accurate perception of what is happening in your life. In no way is God influenced or distracted by circumstance. Or fleeting emotion, or the thoughts of other people. He knows what is best for you, what you need to believe, or what you need to do in order to experience life to the fullest. To stay with the same road ditch analogy, these truths are like signs on the side of the road warning you of an upcoming curve, or the blatantly obvious rumble strips that tell you you are heading towards disaster. Let me give you a couple examples. And these could have been, like, from my Hall of Fame, right? But these are just my everyday sort of examples. And one of them is Roz, my wife. So six years ago, she was sitting in a classroom where people were studying the Bible. She was in the back row, and she was just kind of praying. And according to her, she had a thought that was not her own that told her not to eat gluten i give you a little bit of context. She was really struggling, sleeping a lot, just always tired, didn't know what the heck was going on. There was times early in our marriage where she'd go to bed at like 7 o'clock. It was just so odd, and she could not figure it out. But then this voice, this thought told her, do not eat gluten. So she thought, hey, I'll trust it. She hasn't eaten gluten for the last six years, and I have seen her come back to life. She has more energy Right? She has the energy that she used to have when she was in high school, just vibrant. What are my examples? So about a month ago, I was sitting in a dentist's office. My oldest was back with the dentist. My youngest was hanging out with me in the waiting area, and there was music playing, the radio was moving, and I was just playing with Eden. She's four years old, wanted me to constantly play with her Barbie or whatever was going on. The only thing that I heard on the radio was, "Be a servant." to your spouse's needs. The only thing in 45 minutes, be a servant to your spouse's needs. Let me give you a little context. So things with my wife and I, they weren't bad, but they definitely weren't perfect at that time. And I was really wanting to love her better, to do something to kind of pour into her, but I wasn't inspired by anything. It was just always my constant thought of like, well, I could romanticize her in this way, or I could do, you know, it was all like self-driven sort of motivation. But this has changed everything from my view of how I should love my wife. Be a servant of her needs. Now, these are simply examples from Raz and I's life, and they're simple, but it is evidence of the Spirit stepping into our lives to make it better. Whether or not you have recognized them or attributed attributed them to God, I promise that you have examples of your own when the spirit of truth led you into truth. Each one of all of our examples is custom made for us. We receive the nugget of truth that we each need when we need it because it is coming from the one that knows everything and intensely loves you. So he leads us into all truth. The second thing that the spirit does, he empowers us to overcome the brokenness of this world. Let's look at two verses. 1 John 4.4. Little children, you are from God and have conquered them. He's talking about false prophets, people that are antichrist. For the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations. Do you see that? The power at work within us that is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. Not only does the Spirit bring us truth, he also empowers us to live it out. The two examples that I gave you about Raz and I being shown truth would only be nice, kind of cute, if they remain thoughts bouncing around our skulls. But because of who God is, we have both been able to make them a reality. I dare you to try to stop eating gluten cold turkey. Right? No beer, no pizza, no donuts, Right? no Haagen-Dazs cookie, whatever, right? No thickening agent, no pasta, nothing. Or try becoming a servant of your wife's needs. It sounds romantic, but it requires one to be selfless, to want to do things that will solely benefit your partner. Like I mentioned before, this type of motivation does not come naturally. But what is incredible, Roz hasn't intentionally eaten gluten for six years. In the past month, I've actually somewhat enjoyed doing laundry and house projects that have been unfinished for the last 12 months. Now, I'm not saying we do it without wavering, but the overarching direction has been and continues to be towards truth, towards life. The only way that this can happen is because the all-powerful God of the universe has stepped into our day-to-day lives and is empowering us to live the way that we were designed to. And he wants to do the same thing for you. Not only does he want to show you how to live, he wants to empower you to actually do it. As we walk out of here, I want to leave you with a challenge. Because you were created with free will, so much of God's ability to directly interact with your heart and therefore transform your life comes from your desire for him to do it. This week, invite him to be a part of your heart. Invite him to lead you into the truth that you need. Ask him to take control over your life and to empower you to conquer the selfishness that lies within you. Do this over and over throughout your day. It's not like it has to be some big, grandiose statement, but just he is there with you. He is listening to you. He wants to be invited into your world. It's as simple as saying, God, I want you. God, I need you. God, help me. Openly welcome the creator of everything into your life. If you do this, the Bible promises that you will have life and you'll have it to the fullest. Let's finish with a psalm, Psalm 16. Musicians, you guys can come up. Protect me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the holy ones in the land, they are the noble in whom all is is my delight. Those who choose another God multiply their sorrows, their drink offerings of blood. I will not pour out or take their names upon my lips. Hear this. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have a goodly heritage. One more. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night, I also, my heart instructs me. I keep the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My body also rests secure. For you do not give me up to Sheol and let your faithful one see the pit. You show me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore.